welcome to Off There Shelf Reviews. I am like God and God is like me. I am as large as God and God is as small as I. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss Cape Fear, which released in 1991, based on the novel by John D. MacDonald, The Executioners, with a screenplay by Wesley Strick and directed by Martin Scorsese. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows Robert De Niro's character, Max Cady, who has just been released from prison after a 14-year stint. He is a man on a mission to find his ex-counsellor lawyer, played by Nick Nolte, who may have set him up for that prison term. As Max and Sam start to face each other off, they will finally meet their final battle at Cape Fear. I am like God and God like me. I am as large as God. He is as small as I. So originally, Steven Spielberg was going to be directing Cape Fear. Yeah, I read that. But uh, he really wanted to direct Schindler's List, which Martin Scorsese was going to direct. Whoa. So Spiel whoa. Spielberg called him up and went, hey, do you want to swap scripts? <laughs> so I, I direct this and you direct Cape Fear. And Scorsese was like, I don't want to do Cape Fear. And it took them over a year whilst he was filming Goodfellas to convince Scorsese that Cape Fear would be his next project. De Niro wow. was like, hey, Scorsese, we need to do this project. We need to do this one next. Yeah. And Scorsese went, well, I'll read the script again. And went, no, I'm not doing it. And the script went through 26 rewrites before Scorsese went, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> I also read as well, Spielberg was also turned down the film because it was a bit violent. I was like, dude, you went into Schindler's List. Yeah. <laughs> well, according to Spielberg, Schindler's List was more of a personal story to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it uh, definitely helped define his career as well. Totally, But yes. I also think Cape Fear was also a great breakout for Scorsese. Oh. And Spielberg also knew that Cape Fear would be a hit and would be a commercial success to help launch Scorsese so that he would be able to pick and choose his projects nice. going forward. Yeah. Give him that kind of stability that auteur kind of status within the Hollywood system as well to be able to keep making movies. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I for me, for me like, I've seen this movie, this is probably the second or third time. Like, I don't really remember the first time I watched it. It could have been late night BBC One or something. Yeah. Yeah, because I was I remember being incredibly intimidated and frightened <laughs> by this character that was also incredibly intriguing as yes, well. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, young me was very, very scared. Well, this was it. And I, and when we said we were going to sit down to watch, uh, watch it and review it, I was just like, man, I, I don't really remember. I, I, I remember all the hype. And the pub's publicity, you know, the overall success, you know. And then when you're researching it and you're like, wow, you know, imagine Scorsese doing Schindler's List and Spielberg doing Cape Fear. You know, reading about how Scorsese wanted to give it a more Hitchcockian approach, you know, with it, with his camera angle and his style. Well, it's, it's the fact that, it, of course, this is a remake. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. Scorsese was also like, I don't really want to remake Cape Fear. Of course, the original came out in 1962 yeah. with Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum. And as Scorsese was like, my biggest issue looking at this script and the thing that was changed the most was the idyllic, wholesome family mm. that's in the original where they all bond together as a yeah. family yes. to overcome this external threat. Where Scorsese was like, it's too pure, it's too wholesome, yeah. I need my family to be fractured on the verge of breaking up yes. uh, so that all those cracks are there for the evil to slip into. And that is what really attracted Scorsese to it was 
breaking that family, but still elevating them and holding them as you know oh. as as relatable characters. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Definitely. And I mean, you couldn't do any better than finding fucking De Niro as Matt Cady as that wedge that gets driven through because. You know, it's like Gary and I spoke about this before we turned the camera on. Is that you will immediately, from seeing all of the imagery of Max Cady that we'll show you or, or stuff that you already know, if you haven't seen the film, you know, he he is a fucking scary psychopath. Like, he's a, he's a bad, bad man, you know. But when you start to understand what has got him to this point you know you know we've got like i said nick nolte as sam bowden as as the lawyer counselor i now nick nolte's got a bit of a career that i'm like man this guy has hit some really big marks and then he's dropped out of obscurity and then he's come back again and then he drops out again like i i love him in hulk ang lee's hulk sure, you know yeah. i know a lot of people diss the movie but that whole speech he does at the end for humanity in front of eric banner is just just Nick Nolte being crazy Nick Nolte. In this, he, he, he's quiet and reserved. He's probably in this point of his career where he's like, oh, I can do whatever. But as you start to understand like the history Sam has with Max, the stuff that's going on with his family, you know, we've got Jessica Lange uh, playing Lee Bowden. My God, Jessica Lange, you are fucking intense. She's a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful actress. And I wished I appreciated her more in her early career because I really came aware of her during American Horror Story. Mm -hmm. And now whenever I see Jessica Lang in anything, I'm just like, she elevates the tiniest roles. Oh, totally. And yeah. I really believe re-watching this film, I was like, I don't remember the mother character at all. And I was like, Jesus, it's Jessica Lang. How did I forget? <laughs> and I was like, well, to be honest, it's a really minor character in this story and mm. in this film. It's integral, but it's very minor. Um, but she elevates this otherwise not really essential character in, yeah, yeah. in this film. So much so that she even convinced Scorsese to insert scenes with her in with Max Cady because she was like, our characters don't meet till the end of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she definitely had some sway in uh, in the development of this film as well. And and it's just so amazing as well. Like, like you'd think that Nolte and De Niro would dominate the set. And, and they do in their scenes. But like you said, there's that sequence where they do meet, like, later on in the movie. But she is intense in a lot of her sequences with Nolte. And, you know, holding him, in, him accountable for dragging them all the way out to New Essex, I think it is, their little town. You know, we... We get snippets of what has caused the the issues and how the family are unhappy with the fact that they had to completely change their lives and come all the way out here. But they are trying. You know, you feel like Nick Nolte's really trying to work this family. They do have what appears at first the the perfect wholesome American family, and then fucking Max comes in and goes, "Nope, this is a problem. That's a problem. I'm not even doing anything yet, and I've already caused fractures." Yeah. No, the minute I walked in this guy's office, I felt totally relaxed. I mean, this guy's totally in charge. Kersick deals with these types for a living. I mean, he, he looked like he was going to enjoy Now, the film also opens with this bombastic score. Yes. That lets you know that this film isn't fucking around <laughs> in the slightest. It's like, this is how to feel from the start. It hits you with the feeling of fear, mm. but also intrigue. 
at, as we get introduced to, uh, to to Max Caddy in his prison cell, we also get this wonderful pan down the wall yeah. of all of his of all of his books, his pictures, and literally everything that you need to know about this character is there in his background. Yeah, but weirdly enough, I thought that I was looking at all the pictures. I'm like, yeah, I'm expecting like intense, fucking scary imagery of people like he's going to look up to. There are superheroes in there. There's Captain yeah. Marvel there. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he thinks he's a superhero. He does. He does. <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly it. His sight. He's broken his psyche down to make himself feel invincible yes. so that he can accomplish his task. But of course it's all the philosophy and religion and yep. all these other things that he's kind of twisted to make it his own. <clears throat> so, you know, but it, it, it's also on top of that music, on top of that imagery of all of the tattoos on his body, you know, De Niro looking more toned than I've oh, ever seen him yes. in film. And then the shot of him walking out of the prison with the thunderous sky behind. Yeah. It just sets everything up really, really simply and, and beautifully. Now, i got to ask you with that shot, because I, I, I questioned that shot when he came out of the prison. Like, uh, And we've seen a lot of films. Like, how good is that shot? Like, just, just the angle of the camera and the way that De Niro is just walking out straight towards the camera. Nothing, nothing changes. Almost hits you know? the camera with his chin. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah. It just almost hits that. But it's you see the storm clouds rolling and everything like that. And you even have the guard say to him, like, hey, what about all your books, Max? And he's like, I read them. I don't need them no more. And I immediately get the feeling, like, this motherfucker ain't coming back here. Yeah. Whatever he's planning it is not going to end with him in jail. And something that I see, I I initially forgot, and and like I said, we just, I spoke about it with Gary. It's like the beginning and ending of this movie is kind of like bookended with Juliette Lewis, and Juliette Lewis at this point was like nineteen years old, starring in the film, and like I love you, Juliette Lewis. I'm just gonna throw it <laughs> out there. I think I always have. Like every role that she ever seems to be in, she ever brings some kind of intensity or or, or naivety. You know, especially with this girl uh, Danielle Bolden. You know, she's she's playing this young teen, but the film opens with her kind of giving this dialogue piece about Cape Fear and the idea behind it. And so then when spoilers, when the film kind of ends with her talking like that, you actually realize this is her story. Yeah. You know, this, even though it's mainly the story, 90% of the movie is Sam and Max facing off against each other, doing all this stuff. It's Danielle in the background yeah. observing all of this and then later on having to deal with all of that psyche damage. Juliette Lewis in this is is phenomenal. She really is. This is her first movie as well. Wow. And uh, the fact that she kind of holds her own against De Niro. Oh, yeah. Whilst and being Nolte. directed by Scorsese and yeah. having Nick Nolte there and Jessica Lange. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's like, like all of these powerful actors around her. But it's the reason why other actresses failed their auditions like Drew Barrymore, Reese Witherspoon. They, uh, they said they fell apart in their interviews. Yeah. They like, just couldn't. They, you know the the pressure, uh, but Juliette Lewis just you know she was the first one they actually auditioned. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, well, we we need to go and double check. <laughs> so he went and it, like auditioned five hundred more girls. And they were like, let's go back to Juliette Lewis. She was just a natural at this. She yeah. just seamlessly blended into the role. Well, she brings that kind of innocence. Yeah. Like like I said, when you put her in a room with De Niro, Scorsese, Nolte, and Lang. You look at Lewis and go, you're the most innocent out of all. These are all really experienced people who have worked some major roles. This is your first time. And yeah, you, you get that. Like, there's a there's a sequence 
Like, I don't want to dwell on it too much, get the wrong impression, but there's a sequence where she's she's in her bedroom in just, just her pants. And I'm like, wow, fuck, you know, how intense that must have been for a girl her age to be like that on set, you know? And, and then she has this kind of confrontation with Naughty who grabs her throat, you know, grabs her face really rough. And I'm like, she's so good that she could take that, you know, and then keep going and not be overwhelmed by oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let that smile off your face. I'm asking you, did he touch you? But yeah, so Max has, has uh, left prison and has made his way to the town where uh, Sam and his family live. And they have their first kind of meeting, you know. In where... the cinema. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> this is iconic. Iconic. Like, anyone who's ever been to a theatre or cinema will have had a similar experience. Not to the extent <laughs> of this. Not to the extent of this where some guy's just laughing maniacally, chomping on a cigar, yeah. playing the auditorium with smoke. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you still get you still get that feeling where you're just like, let's get up out of our seats and move. <laughs> like, like, because this person... Problem Child's a good movie. <laughs> it's not that good of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> But then, yeah, he, he just keeps he just keeps following it, it's, them. It's the fact that they're at the restaurant afterwards. Yeah. And he goes to pay the bill, and she's like, "Oh no, that person over there has paid for it." He already paid it. He goes outside and he sees Max sat in the car just watching them. Yeah, <clears throat> but and he goes to go back in and he turns around and Max is gone. That's it. And Sam doesn't really initially remember him. No. Why you would know? he? Yeah. Well, that's it. It's fourteen years ago. He's a completely different man. All that kind of stuff. But. It's it's those little moments where him and him and Max are constantly having these meetings, like that first one where he probably takes the keys off them, yeah, off him, you know, and they're having the confrontation back and forth. And then I like the one where it's reversed later, where Max is in the car and, and Sam's on the sidewalk, where you you hear so many psychopaths in film, you know. And the ones that really scare you the most are the ones who are really the most articulate. The ones who can kind of talk you for so long, charismatically, that they've killed you and you've not even realised it. And that is kind of how you get this from De Niro. Because Sam is smart, but Max seems to be smarter. Yeah. You know? Like it says in Galatians 3, have you suffered so many things in vain? Yeah. Now, I also want to bring up that uh, De Niro underwent quite a bit of a transformation for this role. Mm. Obviously, he knew well in advance that he was going to be taking this part and doing it. And so he started to bulk up doing five hour days in the gym, wow. you know, just to get in shape because he wanted to be bigger than Nick Nolte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Nick Nolte actually went, well, if you're going to bulk up, then I'm going to slim down. <laughs> and so he slimmed down for the role as well because he wanted to come across as being more meek. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and weak compared yeah. to, to Max. Uh, but that wasn't enough for De Niro, no. He also decided, I'm going to go down south, and I'm going to take the script down there, and I'm going to get Southerners to read this dialogue oh, so that I can yeah. learn how they say these sentences so that I can say it back in the film. Yeah. But that's not all. De Niro also went a little step further, and he started to research sexual predators Whoa. so he could understand their behavior. So that in a scene later in the film where he's like, yes, I'm raping this girl, but because of my research, I think I should also bite her face off. And they put it into the film because of the research that he had done. And they took it a step further than that. He actually defaced or deformed his body, specifically his teeth. He went to a dentist and paid five grand to have a dentist grind away some of his teeth so that they'd all be uneven and disjointed. Shit. Then after the film, he went back to the dentist and went, here's 20 more grand, now fix my teeth. <laughs> 
That is the dedication that De Niro went into for this role. And it, even though all those are like minor things, really, they, they all the build up to make this character yeah. one of cinema's greatest, f most frightening villains. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just you constantly feel that Max is in every scene. He's in the background somewhere. Yeah. Scorsese even said that he was actually genuinely creeped out by De Niro's performance yeah. in the film. So much so that De Niro thought oh, it'd be great to start calling Scorsese and leaving answer machine messages in the voice, the voice of, Max of Max Cady. Cady. Oh, fuck <laughs> it out. Because it just, like I said, it just builds up. Like You had that strange um, sex sequence as well, don't you, with uh, Nick Nolte and, and Jessica Lange. And it was a... Like, that was when I kind of first noticed the usage of, of um, Scorsese's camera work like Hitchcock. Yeah. You know, the bathroom sequence where Nick Nolte is, like, right by the camera and Jessica Lange's in the background. And then it changes. And I wasn't too sure how I felt about it. But then, because he doesn't use it too much, I felt, you know what? This is really just building up the intensity, much like a, a Hitchcock movie does. You know, it slowly just ramps it up. And then they have that sex sequence where the camera really goes through like a negative color change, you know, and I'm like, what the, what's that all about? You know, what, what are you trying to tell me from this? But then it's when Jessica Lange kind of wakes up, you kind of still feel it's like a weird dream sequence she's in. And then she ultimately looks out the window and bang, there's Max sat on the wall while fireworks are going off behind him. And he's just fucking looking. <laughs> it's just looking and everything in the movie is so well placed where max isn't really doing any harm he is to the audience he you know he's a bad guy but he's not doing any real harm that they can pin anything on him and so all the the lawyers and the sheriffs and the, the private eyes that sam goes to speak to to try to get some help they look at him like he's the crazy one yeah, it does. It definitely highlights like a broken system. Mm. Like, like w the law is now reactionary. So even though there is a crime that's probably going to be committed, we can't do nothing until the crimes happen. Well, so there's like it feels like there's no safety net innocent for the family until, here. Innocent yes. until proven guilty. Yes, and, you yeah. know, kind of thing. Um, but it, it definitely does add that kind of element to the film, though, where. The system, you know, you don't, you can't trust him. Even the people working in the system know that the system is kind of broken. Oh, yeah. And the way they talk about it as well amongst each other. Like, there's the, you get this relationship kind of come forward between Laurie and Sam. Uh, Laurie, played by Ileana Douglas, who, who's worked with um, uh, Scorsese before in Goodfellas and things like that. She, she kind of plays this um, legal secretary working with with Sam and you see them playing uh, like squash or racquetball or whatever that sport is um, and you just know it's too feely feely there's the way they're that, too close yeah, yeah they, and, and she she feels for him she, she like he just wants to be her friend but he's not telling his wife and I'm like, dude, you, no, 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 you don't, no, no, because this, this shit will bite you in the motherfucking ass you, you bring your wife along she can fucking meet her but they, they, they have this thing and the film really builds up like Sam. Yeah, he's the good guy, but he's not really the good guy. He's having this kind of weird, strange relationship with this legal secretary. You know, he's moved this family out here because supposedly he was cheating in the past. And now we're starting to find out that when he did represent KD for the, the sexual rape assault that KD did 14 years prior, he hid vital evidence that would have got Katie off. Now, 
I am all for making sure that criminals do their time for the crime that they do, but I'm all against hiding evidence, even if it does mean it will get them off. You know, don't get me wrong, I want them to do the crime, but if you hide the evidence, you're no better than them. Because yeah. it's like Katie even says to him, you represent me. You know, there is an oath you take that your personal feelings will not come into the courtroom with you. And yeah. you failed that. But on top of him being a dad you know, of a daughter, he yeah. put himself in those shoes yeah. and was yeah. like, what if that was my daughter? I would want this evidence to disappear. Which was that the person that he raped and mutilated was apparently promiscuous and had several lovers that week. So that would have lessened the charge. And so, like, I mean, Max was still going to prison. Ooh, yeah. He was still going yeah. to jail. Maybe his sentence wouldn't have been 14 years, uh, but he still would have served this time like no matter what yeah, his lawyer yeah, did. Yeah. So even it so it feels like his vengeance at this lawyer. Yeah, it's kind of justified for the, you know for making that evidence disappear, but it's also like you were still the criminal here. You yeah. were still going to jail anyway. And Sam even says that like Yeah, yeah. Why didn't you why didn't you go after the judge? Why don't you go after the DA? And it's it's a personal thing. It is, yeah. Max is like uh, because Max explains to us in all the time that he was in jail, he studied law. Well, not not straight away. It said he was about six years yeah, in when yeah. he started to, 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 to piece things together to find out that the evidence was hidden. Yeah, because he wanted to represent himself and get an appeal. And he said he, he appointed the appeal like seven times, you know. Um, but it's the, it's the fact that when he started to represent himself, when he started to learn about the law, that's when he learned about all these things that lawyers are not supposed to do, you know. And that's when he's like, motherfucker stitched me up. Yeah. But going back to the Laurie character, you know, their, hers and Sam's relationship's a bit weird all over the place. And she gets kind of upset because Sam st uh, stands her up and doesn't come to play uh, squash with her. So she meets Max in a bar. Or was Max waiting there? We don't know. Like, is he a shark looking for the next target? He's looking to bring down anyone related to the family or ways to fracture them or break them or make them softer for him to make his move. Yeah, and this sequence... Again, a lot of this was ad-libbed and improvised. Uh, the actors kind of knew their roles and just let it play out. Yeah. And uh, you really feel the fear for her. Like, she, we know what she's walking into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. she's intoxicated. Yeah. And just, just like um, Danielle will be later on, you know, kind of seduced by him. Yeah. Because he is a smooth-talking motherfucker yes you know? yes and uh and yeah he gets her back to a hotel room or her room and uh he, he, we can see that he's starting to get more and more aggressive to the point where the handcuffs come out yeah but she's still playing along until yeah. it's too late yeah man what a fucking sequence i mean i Part of me also felt when we see her in the hospital, I'm like, all right, he would have done a hell of a lot more damage from what we kind of would have seen. Yeah. You know, but we heard the snap of the arm. We saw the bite on the cheek. We saw the silhouette of him punching her. We don't need to really know or see anything more. And and weirdly enough, like, like he'd have been arrested. Like, present day, I think he would have been arrested, like, immediately. Because at least his DNA and his sweat and, you know, all of that, he'd have been in prison. Yeah, but it's the fact that she decides she's not going to press charges. She doesn't want to take him to court or do any of that stuff because 
she is someone who works and lives in the courts and so yes. she doesn't want to be represented or seen by all of her peers as this in yeah. this role so she's like i want out it's that line that she says where she's like, I've been on the other side. I do not want to be the conversation where everybody laughs and jokes at the end once this guy goes to prison because I'm the one who has to kind of live with this now. You know, and you can see from Sam that he's really kind of distraught because she's, you know, being being pulled into the situation that he's got with Max. And then obviously he's having to deal with his family because Lee's dog has mysteriously been poisoned. And like, we only briefly see the dog. But Jessica Lang is so good that when she's describing what happened to the dog and how the dog died, you're like, holy fucking shit, that's, that's harsh. And the way she lunges, you know, at Sam, when he's like, I told you not to let the dog out. She runs him, I did not let the dog out. You know, she's fucking pissed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, she, yeah. she's upset. And so Sam's just like, right, I need to do something. And he's, he's tried talking to the police. You know, Robert Mitchum playing the lieutenant. You know, when he's talking to uh, Sam and Sam's just like, you know, they, they even pull Max in for a lineup, don't they? In the strip search and all this kind of stuff because they think he is. And he starts to drop all these little hints. Oh, how did he get into the house? Well, he wasn't in the house. And Robert Mitchum's like, okay, so how do you know he poisoned the dog? Well, just look at him. He's he, It's obviously him. And Robert Mitchum's just like, counselor, you know the law as well as I do. You can't just presume <laughs> you know um but he goes and meets a private investigator as well to follow max around and max completely just makes him straight away makes him straight away <laughs> and I, I i do love the lineup of all the different actors even this private investigator i don't really remember his name but he was in goldeneye he was yeah. amazing in goldeneye um and he 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 tries to follow max around for a little bit um and then explains to sam like look the guy's really not doing anything if you want me to continue doing this it's going to cost you a lot, a lot more. Alternatively, you can spend, give me some money and I can hire three guys with two pipes and a chain and we can kind of scare him off and get him out of town. And so at first, Sam's against it because all the way through, Nick Nolte is playing this pacifist character. Yeah, he knows he's already done wrong once mm. and he doesn't want to repeat any wrongs in his career. He's trying to be on the straight and narrow, do, good, do the good thing. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to hire some thugs to beat up this guy yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that sequence where they're all sat at dinner and he's talking about the private eye and he's just like, we can all relax, we can all chill, he's going to follow Max and everybody's having it. And then the phone goes and it scares you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now that's the thing. It's like, and not only is it just a, a nice little jump scare yeah. for the audience, um, but it's it, it just highlights that this entire family are living under a cape of fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. will do forever now. They really will do. They'll ne even, even after the film's events, they'll always be scared now. Yeah. So Sam does go forward with the idea of getting these guys in, but at first he confronts uh, Max at a cafe and basically says to him, like, if you don't leave, you're going to get hurt. And Max is like, are you threatening me? And it's just so calculated. It's so planned that, you know, Max didn't expect the counselor to walk in, but he kind of figured he would. So he was always kind of prepared to be able to use that evidence. And so then when they go out into the car park, these three guys come along and they start beating the shit out of Robert De Niro. And you're thinking, oh, fuck, he's, he's going down. But this is where, like, all those years of training, prison has paid off. That he takes these three guys down. And Sam, Nick Nolte's character, is hiding behind a bin. And he sees the guys get taken out. And he goes to leave and he knocks a bit of trash and makes some noise. And that's when Max kind of hears it. It's a bit suspicious. You know, and he does this whole speech 
to like the parking lot to this bin. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you there, counselor? Are you listening in? I am like God, you know? And you're just like, man, if he finds him and he starts making his way to the bin. And I, I questioned it at first of like, why did he stop? You know, why did he go? Why, if you're there, what, what if you are? And I think it's because Max didn't want to finish it there. Oh, Max has got a plan. Yeah. Max already knows he's there. And he's like, yeah, I could confront him now, but he's already two steps ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because now when Sam gets home and he's just like, right, I need to call up some lawyers. I need to, to make these things happen. I need the restraining order. I need this and that. And he tries to get hold of this other lawyer. And this lawyer's like, uh, no, I can't represent you. Gregory Peck. It's Gregory Peck on the phone. Of course, from the original film, yeah, and he's like, "No, I'm, uh, I'm actually now representing Max Cady, and uh, we're going to see you in court in a couple <laughs> yeah, of days." Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> the devastation on his face, where he's now sat in court, and Max Cady's there with his, with plasters on his face, yeah, he's all bandaged yeah, yeah, up, yeah. he's humble, he's silent, yeah, and Gregory Peck just delivers these statements that just make Sam. Bowden look like an absolute buffoon, like an imbecile, completely like in his home, like a lawyer in the court. It's his home. And he is now being destroyed by Max Caddy, uh, Max Cady due to Gregory Peck's performance here. And I'm just like, oh man, like you got Robert De Niro and Gregory Peck in the same movie, in the same scene. And they don't share a word of dialogue with each other. I was like, oh, that would have been so good. They don't even need to. I know, I know. I think that's what I find is so great about this sequence. Like Like I've always had a fondness for Gregory Peck. He's just, so fucking good from fucking Moby Dick yeah. to The Omen to this to To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, he he plays that, you know, like that symbol of America. You know, Gregory Peck, I am the face of America. And the way he stands in front of the court and he's talking to the judge like, even Solomon himself could not have delivered a statement as well as that, sir. It's like he's licking that judge's ass. And that's how good Gregory Peck is. And De Niro's just kind of sounded like, I'm just... We'll keep my mouth shut because if he does say anything, then Peck might have caught up on that, or the, the lawyer character would have caught up on that. But he wants Sam to just be this representation of just suffering. Well, yeah, I mean, he's out to cause, you know, re- he's out for revenge and he's bringing, he's destroying his career, he's destroying his friends, and now he's working on his family. Yeah. You know, it's the scene, like I said, that was added into the film where he drives up and he returns the dog collar. Oh, yeah. You know, and she's just like, I know who you are, blah, blah, blah. Don't yeah. you ever come around here again, but it was like, it sets up these characters. Uh, but then it's also the fact that he calls up Danielle on the yeah. phone. It's like, hey, you got drama tomorrow. I'm your new drama teacher. Drama's not going to be in your usual class. We're going to be down in the theater room. So yeah. down here at 10 o'clock. And of course, she leaves her friends. She goes wondering. Well, it's also I me. Mean, she stays on the phone with him for a little while after because because we know who it is and he knows what her life's like. He yeah, starts yeah. to pry. Yeah. And she, because she's just been listening to her parents argue, mm. she opens up she to opens this stranger. Up. Yeah. And, uh, and the seduction begins where he even asks her in the, in, in the theater, like you're thinking about me last night, weren't you? And he starts to bring the conversation towards sex and new feelings oh, and discoveries. Awkward. And again, this is another improvised scene where he ends up sticking his thumb in Danielle's mouth. And of course, this is a, a new feeling to her entirely. The sexual awakening. Yeah. And uh, the fact that he's intimidating. The fact that he also seems to have it in for her parents is, a, I guess, is a, is a, an attraction for her too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because she's wanting to rebel. Like, yeah. Because we'd found that she'd got in trouble for smoking marijuana in school. 
um, and her parents were like, oh, it's not the worst thing in the world. So then De Niro utilizes that information and he's sat there smoking a joint, just like, yeah, Lois inhibitions. And so she kind of feels like this kindred spirit. But at the same time, you can also tell from Juliette Lewis, you know, playing this role, that she's she's afraid. Like, if her parents find well, it, out, what are they yeah. going to say? What's yeah. going to happen to her? So she doesn't want to completely give herself over to this person, the stranger, because she does love her parents. But as any teenager, as we all have been in there, we kind of go, no, we, we kind of want to go it's off It's exciting. It's different. Yeah. 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 The whole thumb in the mouth sequence and then the kiss. I'm like, get the fuck out of there now. De Niro, how the hell can you make this scene so fucking... Oh, unnerving and stuff. And then he just kind of walks off, doesn't he? Yeah. Just walks off to the stage. Well, she, she runs off as well. And then she, she runs, runs off, off as yeah. well. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, Sam, mum, find out about what's going on. And yeah. they're like, right, that's it. We've uh, I've got to go to this court thing. But how about we set a trap mm. for Max? Let's set a trap. And so they pretend to go to the airport. They pretend to put him on a plane. Yeah. Then they hide him in the house. Yeah. And the detective is like, well, I've got this filament wire, this fishing wire. I'm going to hook it up to the windows and doors to this teddy bear. So if anybody's coming into this house, we're going to know about it. You could tell technology has surpassed since then. <laughs> right. Teddy bears but and I, I like this home alone kind of <laughs> yeah. setup. It's, it's great. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, you know, eventually we've watched the teddy bear's arm wiggle. And we watched the detective going across the wire up to the windows. It was like, oh, it's just the wind. Yeah. I'm going to close the door back over. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. I'm going to go and mix some more whiskey and Pepto-Bismol yeah, yeah. together. My dad was always drinking this when he was on steakhouse. He starts chatting with the uh, the maid. And then the maid turns around and grots him. Yeah. <laughs> and then shoots him in the head. Oh, it was Max Caddy all along. And we well, we'd already had that intense sequence, hadn't we? Where where Sam's woken up in bed. Yeah. And Max was stood there at the door and then he wasn't too sure and we had the negative effect on the camera again and Max is gone. And that's when Sam kind of realizes, shit, he's been in our house this whole time. You know, little things that happened where the dog like I said, the dog's been poisoned, the piano's missing, the piano wire. You know, it's just how is he knowing all of this information unless he's inside the house? And so once we've once he's killed the maid, dressed up as her, and then killed the PI, the family are kind of in shock. And I didn't mean to laugh, but when they started slipping on the blood, I was <laughs> no, <yeah>. pissing myself. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things we just like, what are you doing? Fucking, like, just call the cops. All the evidence now points that there's a murder in your house. But no, they're like. Oh, well, we're going to run away. Oh, okay, okay, great plan. So, so they leap in the car and they drive down to their houseboat, which is then going to take them out to Cape Fear. And, I, you know, if you're a Simpsons fan, you'll remember this. You, you, The car pulls up, they all get out, and Max is tied to the bottom. And I wanted him to get off and start getting hit in the faces with rakes. <laughs> right. I really did. Sideshow Bob style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say that Simpsons parody is one of my favourite parodies ever from The Simpsons. Yeah. It's one of the episodes I remember the fondest. Yeah. That's when Homer comes in with the chainsaw, like, look at my chainsaw! Look at yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this whole end sequence as well, like I was, I was saying to Gary before I started, I, I wasn't too sure if I felt like the film was maybe a little bit too long. Like it is 30 minutes longer than the original. And 
I'm not entirely sure where all the time comes from. Maybe it's the extra stuff we get with Sam and all of his relationship, the extra stuff we get with Jessica Lang or Danielle. But then like, maybe it's actually all hidden in this end sequence because this whole end sequence is kind of like a, like an action fight sequence. They take the boat out um, and, and they, they park themselves up somewhere a little quiet so that they could just, because they've already called the police. The police are going to investigate it. They're on the run, but they're not coming back until Max has been caught. And we know that Max is, there with them and so he just he he's on the boat he gets his own little boat he follows them out there you know in in the middle of a storm like a storm fucking turns up as well you know to make it even more dramatic and he, he he chokes out sam and he cuts the anchor and the boat starts fucking going down the river and it all starts becoming tense sequence now where like de niro getting off with jessica lang in front of Nolte while yeah, well, he drags Lewis. him in, doesn't he? Drags him in, and he's like, "I'm going to tie you up, and now I'm going to rape your wife and your daughter like I was raped in prison." And, yeah, and then he's going to kill them all. Yeah, it's just like it, it, to exact his revenge. It's 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 horrific. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Yeah, and all the actors sell this so fantastically well while the boat's rocking around. It's that whole intense sequence as well where De Niro's holding the flare. Well, exactly. And now, he's just like, "I don't feel pain." Yeah. Yeah, to, to to prove like what how he's been indestructible this whole time, how he's been able to hold himself underneath their car for miles and miles. Yeah, you know how he's uh, how able to withstand like the beating he took in the car park earlier. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's that moment where he's you know, he's got the cigar. We we saw Jet Lewis get stashed in this cubby hole. Well, she threw the hot water in his face. That's right, she threw the hot water in his face. It. He took it, but now he's about to light the cigar, and she literally burnt, sets him on fire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he ends up in the water which I really love like like you could be mistaken that Juliet Lewis was just immediately just going to be the victim all the way through and her parents were going to save her but while she's shoved in the hold she's looking for stuff because she wants to save her mum she yeah. wants to save her dad and that's when she finds the lighter fluid sets him on fire and sends him overboard and you know that that's not taking him out <laughs> right right but at the same time I think it's really implausible that he would grab hold of the a half rope Halfway down the fucking river with him when know, he fell off. I know, I know. But I, I don't mind. I'm, I'm going with it. I'm, I'm going yeah. with it. And so, yeah, he ends up making his surprise return back on the boat. And 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 while the storm's raging off, like, it's like they've rescued Sam from the rope and they've thrown, like, Juliet Lewis and Daniel have leapt off, which I thought was incredibly dangerous in the middle of a storm, but, <laughs> hey, you know, what are you going to do? Um, and it's finally just left down to Sam and, and Max. And they'd had this whole intense final confrontation in front of the family as well um but, scrabbling over the gun yeah but it's max's it, it, it's the sequence where he's judging him yes and he keeps turning and looking at the camera behind him like he's talking to a judge and you think oh he's insane but the way he's speaking is like he's a judge yeah. he is judging over sam's actions of what he did because he got the confession out of him yeah of why you ruined my life you put me in there that i could have been out in time well you raped and murdered that's not the point you and and Weirdly enough, as 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 bad as a De Niro, as bad as Max Cady is, uh, and same as bad as Sam is as well, I'm sat down and I'm like, you know what? I, I I'm not justifying it, but I I get it. Yeah. I I I get it. I get why he's angry. You know, yo, he was a fucking psychopath and he needed to go to jail. But the fact that he had a lawyer who misrepresented him and made his life even worse, we don't know if if he did get raped by all those black guys and all those white guys. It's you know, Max should just be lying. It could be all in his head. But the way that De Niro delivers the lines, the stories, you're just like, 
yeah, I'm, I'm behind this. And then they finally have this fight sequence. The boat's rocking all over the place. He handcuffs Max's leg to that pole. And then they hit that rock and it just kind of smashes the whole boat to pieces. Yeah. It <laughs> just disintegrates. Yeah. Now, there's been some uh, interesting effects throughout the film. And mm. this is one of Scorsese's earliest movies that have some of those uh, effects put into the film. Mostly like the skyline. Mm, like yeah. there's several skyline shots of like the house where there's these rolling clouds going on behind <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Then in the very next shot of the house, the same night, it's this starry skyline. Uh, but even like De Niro when he's in front of the wall with the fireworks going on behind yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an entire green screen. Oh yeah, I could see that. There's it's like a, a, there's a little weird line going around. Yeah, yeah. You're just like ah, oh, the background like, doesn't. At the time, it was not noticeable yeah, at all. But yeah. now we're getting into HD and home theaters. We're just like you can see the effect shots now, and it's, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. It's like it spoiled a little bit of the magic, but it's still great. But I also yeah. say like watching it now, I was like I was so much more aware now of the miniature boat yeah, yeah, me too. breaking on the rocks. I was just like, well, yeah, it's fine. I mean, they did, they did have a great big sound stage and a, and a water tank to film a lot of these sequences yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. But the miniature stuff, I was like, you can easily see the you miniature can... now. But it's still effective. Yeah, yeah, and it... and, uh, and it, it it's just there to help paint this mental image for you as this boat sinking and. Uh, it's not over yet because the two men are still alive and they still want to kill each other. Yeah. And even though uh, Max is is cuffed to this pole and he's laid down on the ground, he's still talking and he's still putting Sam down yeah. while he grabs these rocks. He, they both throw rocks They're at each other. They're both fucking whacking each other with rocks. But he yeah. grabs this great big rock and he's about to drop it down on his head. Now, it's been a tale of his morality throughout the film. Yeah. Now he's at the breaking point where he literally has to kill a man because of the decisions he had made 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but nature, Mother Nature takes it away from him and says, no, you're spared having to kill someone we're going to take Max away from you and we're going to drown him. Yeah. Slowly. Max don't give a fuck. Max no. is staring intently like, I'm coming back, motherfucker. Max, if I get a chance, he, I'm coming I mean, back. he starts talking gibberish, but it's like yeah. he's praying in different yeah. languages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the fact that he seems to be elated that he's now going to heaven. Yeah. He also, that final stare is like, I. it's like he's won. Even though he's about to die, he's elated he's going to heaven. But he also knows he's won because this family is scarred deeply and forever traumatized by the events that he's caused yeah. you know, through these couple of days. I mean, it, it harkens back to the speech he kind of had with the private eye where, where Sam's like, I want a gun. And the private eye's, private eye's like, have you ever used one before? And Sam's like, no. And he's just like, well, well, I'll teach you how to use it and we'll go out and shoot some trees. And then the private eye stops and he's just like, well, I've just had a realization that you're going to have a shock when you realize shooting a man dead is a hell of a lot different than shooting a tree. You know, and that's, like I said, when you get to that final sequence where he's just at desperation and he's looking for the biggest rock he can and he's just going to smash this guy's brain in. Well, that's right. Mum and daughter find each other and then, yeah, Sam yeah. kind of gets together and they yeah. kind of have this They do all hold yeah. each other at the end. Um, and then, yeah, and then you get Juliet Lewis's... Narrating. Yeah. yeah. They will always remember this moment and certainly she will always remember yeah. this man who tried to kill her and her family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Ian, what were your favourite or most memorable scenes from Cape Fear? Oh, man. Uh, like, like most of the movie is, is pretty damn good, but I had some real integral ones. I was like, man, I've got to write them down because they were just really, really well done. Uh, uh, the 
Max and Sam's meeting, a lot of them, you know, you don't remember me, counselor, first off with the keys, the discussion, you know, Nick Nolte's kind of naivety to like the whole of the situation, but you can tell that Max's intensity is like, he could have killed him then. Fucking just could have killed him right then, but Max is like, nope, I've got something planned. You know, meeting off in the street, looking to pay Katie, you know, looking to pay Katie off. You know, he's like, how much do you want? How, you know, how much money? And you don't realize at this moment that actually Max has got money. He's got inheritance that his mum had passed away and left to him. So he's got like fucking thousands. He could be going anywhere. But here he is. And when he tries to work out the maths, like, oh, 50000 uh, $50, you know, uh, 14 years, 365, that's like $10 a day. That's not even worth it, counselor. And you're like, man, he's fucking on the ball. He's smart. Uh, Max and the PI facing off, you know, and he's just calling him, what's it? He's calling him redneck shit kicker and all that kind of shit. And Max is just like, do I know you? Are we friends? Do you get to talk to me like that? I know my reds. You can't do anything to me. And I'm like, man, he's, he's just got everybody under the thumb. Max hanging upside down, talking to Danielle on the phone. Like... What the fuck? <laughs> it's just, it's just, just shows, I don't know, his craziness or maybe it's part of his regime to try to stay fit. I don't know. It just looks and, and just looks great with him. Just Juliet Lewis has no idea that <laughs> right. she's talking to a guy who's definitely not her teacher and is definitely not the right way up. Um, the I am like God speech, uh, Silesius, uh, 17th century in the car park after he's been beaten up. De Niro just fucking just delivers it so well. And I think it's also the camera angle where you see Sam cowering behind the bin right. and De Niro just off in the background and he delivers the speech and then he's just like, ah, fuck it. And he throws <laughs> the pole away. Uh, like I said, the slipping in the blood. I don't know why I laughed so hard at that. I think it was like a moment of levity in the film that you couldn't believe it happened. But when he slipped and then Jessica Lange came over to help him and then she slipped, I was just like, sake. <laughs> um, and then the, the, the loss of humanity speech, you know, um, towards the end. Um, and he just calls him out. Max is just calling Sam out in front of the family, judging him, keep looking back and talking to this imaginary judge. Like I said, I I really wanted to hate on Max, but at the same time, I, you can't help but kind of put yourself in those shoes of, oh yeah, if that was me, if I had done this crime and they had mistreated me and then I found out about it and I've got the resources to try to do something about it, do I go off and have a good life? Or do I come for them? <laughs> right. Yeah, there are so many great scenes in this film. Honestly, I, I really, really enjoyed the first act. I think it's really strong, especially mm. opening with that that music score uh, was great. Uh, all the way into the cinema with him laughing hysterically. Yes. To then them, then him taking the keys. To them seeing him staring at them across from the parade. Yeah. You know, yeah uh, to parade. him driving up, uh, dropping off the dog collar. All of those setup scenes, all of the scenes where he's kind of looking for cracks and a way in to break this family down, all that setup is just really, really good stuff. The the scene with Juliette Lewis and Robert De Niro in the theatre, that seduction sequence, uh, as much of it was ad-libbed as it was, what was scripted, what the actors did and the way they performed it is, is tense and it's creepy yeah. because we know, you know, how vulnerable... Danielle is at this point. Yeah. She is literally in, you know, the jaws of the dragon here. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just 
so well performed and acted and delivered. Scorsese really knew what he was capturing here. Uh, the 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 shocking rape sequence. Mm, now, yeah. you know, just like the original film, you know, we kind of don't see the entire act. We see the beginning of it, yeah. which is enough because it is so shocking and violent, especially considering she was so unaware of the trap that she was in as well, you know, seduced by this man. Uh, and it comes as such a shock. It yeah. really does. I really like the house trap setup with the with the wire and the teddy bear and <laughs> him drinking his Pepto Bismol. Was just like this this whole sequence was great, and of course it ends with them slipping in the blood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and I also really liked the uh, some of the the sequences where it's just them all together in this boat in this tight confined space, and this is where it's all going to end. Yeah, yeah. There's one other bit of dialogue that I had to, to had to um, bring up, and it's when Robert Mitchum, it's when him and Nick Nolte are arguing yeah, over yeah, something, yeah. and he just says, "Well, pardon me, all over the place." <laughs> so it's just great delivery. It's a great line, and it's really well delivered. Yeah. <laughs> well, pardon me, all over the place. Well, Ian, do you recommend Cape Fear? I highly, highly recommend Cape Fear if you have never seen it, and it's. And I'm not going to hold it against people that you may not have seen this. This movie is one of those classics, uh, you know, from from a time that like people forget about. Well, let's make it now a two-time classic. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but like, like this movie, I think, especially Max Cady's uh, role, you know, Robert De Niro playing this role. I, I think a lot of actors or actresses would have looked at this role for further movies. You know, I'm trying to think of like, you know. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, you know, single white female. I'm even thinking like the guest, you know, where where these people just bring themselves into a family's life and are just this intense, scary character that you're like, you should not be anywhere near this person ever. And I think maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's people further than Max Cady, but Robert De Niro is Max Cady from the moment he fucking walks out of that prison to the moment his eyes are going under the surface of the water he will leave an imprint on you for all time oh hell yeah that's why I'm also easily, <laughs> highly recommending Cape Fear 1991. It's a great remake, building on the limitations of the original and surpassing it. This is one of the best thrillers and includes some of the best work from all involved. It's a great exploration of morality and revenge while depicting one of cinema's most frightening and evil characters in De Niro's Max Caddy. The whole cast is brilliant, Great casting here, with De Niro undergoing a physical transformation, delivering and instilling raw fear in the family. You know, it's always great to see Jessica Lange, who really elevates the role, and Juliette Lewis really sold the seduction as she fell prey to Max, Ca Max Caddy in ad-libbed scenes with De Niro. Masterful work by Scorsese and cinematographer Freddie Francis with a gripping soundtrack by Elmer Bernstein that haunts you as the end credits roll. The film captures fear intensely well. It's shocking in parts. All the while, it's riveting and disturbing. So yeah, highly recommend this version. And if you're feeling adventurous, you'll see that the original 62 version still has much to offer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is nothing in the dark that isn't there in the light, except fear. Thanks for watching Off The Shelf Reviews.